Nehemiah chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, and you better, and your journals, get them out. Phones, tablets, whatever, get to the right thing. Nehemiah chapter 8. Here's what we're going to see in this particular chapter as we read through the first 12 verses. We're going to see the word understand or understood five times in these verses. Repetition, as we're reading scripture, says to us, take note, underline, wait a second, this is important. So the word understand or understood is a key word in this text. Listen for it. The word people occurs 13 times in verses 1 through 12. This text is about the people. All the people is actually nine of those occurrences. So all the people understood or understand something, and that's central to what we see. The word joy occurs three times towards the end of the text, verses 10, verses 12, and then past our section that we're looking at today in verse 17. So there's something here about all the people understanding that brings joy. That's what we're going to look at. In this book, there's a major shift that occurs that you need to take note of. We move from Nehemiah being the main actor to Ezra being the main actor in this particular section. We move from first person to third person. And that third person doesn't come back to first person again until 1227. So there's some changes here that we note as we read the text carefully. And we need to make sure we're looking for what that means. Chapters 8 through 10, we're going to see a revival. We're going to see confession of sin. We're going to see the renewal of a covenant to live rightly before the Lord. What we have seen so far is the building of the wall. The building of the wall wasn't the main point, and in many ways, that was the easier thing to do. To build a building, to put blocks up, to put bricks up, yeah, that's easy. To revive and change our hearts before God, that's hard work. It's much easier for me to go lay some stones on top of one another than it is for me to break down the idols in my own idol factory and then to destroy the idol factory and put God on the throne of my heart. That's a miracle. And that's what we're seeing in this particular text. So here's our main idea. If you want the technical long main idea, here's what we're seeing in the text. We must, so we, taking advantage of all the people, must understand, that word was repeated, the word of God, because he's going to tell us to bring out the book. And then we need to experience the joy of its truth. Are you there? Do you experience the joy of the truth of the word of God? Or is the word of God something that you shy away from? Oh, I don't want to read it because it's going to convict me. Or, oh, I don't want to know what it has to say because I'm going to have to live under its authority. Maybe you're not there where we, as all the people, come together and we read the word of God. And when we read it, it delights my soul. It feeds my spirit. It makes me happy. That's where we need to be. Even though it tells me I am worthless, wretched, rotten, sinner before God. The good news is, there's grace and mercy, and in Christ Jesus, I am righteous before God. Oh, and that brings me joy, because what I can never do, Christ has already done. All right, so there's your long definition, right? So, I love Luther. Luther said a lot of times, let the word do its work. He trusted that the word would do its work. In my life, in your life, I trust the word will do the work. 
It's the word that convicts. It's the word that challenges. It's the word that teaches. It's the word that grows. It's the word. So I wanna focus on the word. So there's a little phrase I just had to put on the slide. Let the word do the work. And then I wanted to have fun. So how many of you watched The Mandalorian? Anybody seen The Mandalorian here? All right, they're not prepared for this, but look at my socks today. How do you, what do you think? You like that? Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. They got there finally. Oh, put it back up. There we go. Okay, so now if you are like I am and you read the Star Wars books and you watch all the Clone Wars, you know that Bubba Fett is technically maybe not a Mandalorian, but it works. Just go with it. All right, leave me alone. They don't have Mandalorian socks available yet, so here's what I have. If you watch the Mandalorian, you're going to get this part. If you haven't, just ignore it and keep going. The book, understanding it, and that bringing joy because of its truth, this is the way. There is no other. I want that magic pill that makes me a disciple of Christ. No, 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 no. This is the way. Now, if you like the character, I don't even know the character's name, but I thought he was cool. He would say what he would said in the Mandalorian. When he was finished saying what he had said, he would look at everybody and he would go, I have spoken. I, it was mic drop. I would drop my Bible, but that would be disrespectful, so I'm not going to drop my Bible. But it was, it was mic drop. I have spoken. It's done. And so what I want to say to you today is about bringing the book is I want to say you digging deep into this word and understanding this word so that it brings joy to your soul and to your heart. You want to be a follower of Christ? This is the way. God has spoken. All right, we're done. I'll see you guys later. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Nehemiah chapter 8. We have to today, we do all the time, but we have today, we have to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. You'll see why. Let's stand. Nehemiah chapter eight. If you're able, stand with us. If you're not, it's okay. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe, bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, all could, who could understand. And on the first day of the seventh month, he read from it facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra, the scribe, stood on a wooden platform, that they had made for this purpose, and beside him stood a host of names. Mattahiah, Shema, Anani, Uriah, Hilkiah, Masaiah, on his right hand, on his left hand, Padiah, Mishael, Malchijah, Hashem, whatever that word is, Zechariah, Meshulam, you get it, on his left hand. And Ezra opened up the book in the sight of all the people. For he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, amen, amen. Lifting their hands up. Oh, and they bowed their heads. And they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And all these men. 
the Levites. They helped the people to understand the law, why the people remained in their places. And they read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and the scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they had heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink sweet wine, send portions to anyone who has nothing. For this day is holy to the Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people. They sang, be quiet, for this day's holy. Don't be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and send portions to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Oh God, may we understand your words to us and may we live in such a way that they bring us great joy as we live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. All right, let's walk through our text. Point number one, we see the reading of the word. Verses one through eight. So all the people, they gathered as one person into the square before the water gate. The water gate's outside the temple. It means they all could gather together. And when they all gathered together, they told Ezra to scribe. What did they tell him? All right, we want to drive this point deep. So they said to them, bring the book. So I want you to repeat after me and say, bring the book. Are you ready? All right, that's pretty weak. So you're commanding Ezra as to what Ezra's going to do. Not that I'm Ezra, but you get the point here. And what do you tell Ezra to do? All right. I didn't hear anything from the balcony up here. So we got to do it one more time. Are you ready? All right, show me your book. They didn't have this. So when they said bring the book, what did they bring? Well, just so happens we have one. We actually have the Pentateuch on a scroll. And so here is what they brought. Can you get a shot of that? That looks like Hebrew to me. It, this is the scroll. This is actually probably the right size of scroll. They could have just been reading out of Deuteronomy. It could have been out of the entire Pentateuch. If you rolled this scroll out, it would cover this entire stage from one side to another side. You can look at it, don't touch it afterwards, don't touch the ink on it, but you can look at the scroll if you want to look at the scroll. Ezra came out, when Ezra came out, he brought the scroll. And look at what it says here. This is important, get this, underline this, star this, don't miss this. Ezra, the scribe, they told him, bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded. Here's what they didn't say to him. Would you bring the book that the JEDP hypothesis wrote? Now, some of you are sitting there like, what in the world are you talking about? Bible students, are you with me? There are liberal theories out there that claim the Old Testament is not literal, that the Old Testament people are not literal, that the miracles didn't happen. Wait till we get to chapter nine and look at how Nehemiah and Ezra interpret all of the Old Testament. It's real, it's legit, it happened just like God said it happened. And God told Moses to write it and Moses wrote it and God commanded it and when God says it, that's it, it settles it. This is the word of God. 
this is the way. God has spoken. Come up with all your crazy theories. Try to undermine the word of God because it scares you and because it convicts you and because you don't want to live under its authority. All your liberal junk is still the word of God. Bring the book, the book of the law of Moses that God has commanded. We're just on verse two. I got to hurry. So Ezra did what they asked. <laughs> Preacher, everybody gets together and says, bring the book. You don't have to ask twice. Yeah, I'll bring the book. So he brought the book. He read the law before the assembly, both men and women, all who could understand. And then it says on the first day of the seventh month, beginning of the new year, they were reading through this. We'll get into more details about that in the second half of chapter eight. He read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until when? What does it say in your text? Midday. Not from 10, 10 till 10, 45, and then we got to get out for class. He read from it from early morning until midday, six hours. Six hours. Uh, there's plenty to read from. You look at the scroll. He's not going to finish it in six hours. But he read for six hours. And look at what it says. In the presence of the men and the women and all those who could understand... And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. You want to change. You want to experience revival. You want your habits of life to change. You want to become a mature follower of Christ. I want to do all those things. Do you have a quiet time? No, I'm busy. Do you read the word? Do you meditate on the word? Do you memorize the word? Do you study the word? Do you listen to the word? Do you enjoy listening to people preach the word? No, uh-uh. You don't want to grow to be a mature follower of Christ. If God has given you his words in his book and God has spoken and you say, I want to be a mature follower of Christ, but I don't ever want to dig into the word, you cannot be a mature follower of Christ till you dig into the word. This is the way God has spoken. Get in the word. Be in the word. For six hours, they listened. They listened attentively. All the ears of all the people attended to the book of the law. And then Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform. Maybe this is where we get pulpits from. I don't have a clue. It shows they prepared for this moment. It shows that they built him up. It shows that he was standing in front of the people so they could all hear. Back when I was a kid, they used to have people that would sit on the platform too, which was really awkward because everybody stared at you the entire time. And I'm glad we don't do that anymore. But you have on the one side and on the other side, people sitting on the platform testifying to the truth of what's happening. Basically, it's what's happening here. So you see that. You see all of the names. You see them on the right. You see them on the left. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. He was above all the people. And what happened when he opened the book and started reading the book? It says here, all the people stood. So is it mandated that we stand when we read the word of God? No, it's not. There's no command here. I have you stand when we read the word of God for this reason. I want you to respect the word of God. I think mature followers of Christ respect the word of God. Not because we worship the book. We worship the God of the book. But the book is how we know about God. I don't know about him from personal revelation, personal experience. God doesn't speak to me and reveal himself. He has already spoken. If you want to hear God speak, read God's word. The spirit speaks through God's word. If you want to hear God speak out loud, read God's word out loud. That's what you do. So we stand in reverence for the reading of God's word. Now, I don't have you stand when we do cross references or when I quote another verse, uh, portion of scripture in a sermon. That would just be awkward. You got your journals out. You're taking notes. I got to put this down and get up. I wish he would stop doing that. This is just weird. So we stand when we read the text. We sit back down. Not a command. If you can't stand, no problem. But this is what we see here. 
They stood. It's important to note that they stood. They didn't have the Bible every day. They're hearing the word of God. Automatically, when they hear the word of God, they stand. In reverence. We want to hear what God's word says. And then Ezra blessed or gave praise to God, the Lord, the great God. And what did the people do? The people said, oh, that's really weak, right? It even says it twice in here. All the people said, that's pretty good. I like that. The people said, let it be so. If you're a Star Wars person, make it so, let it be so. You give your affirmation, this is true. These are good words. These are words my soul needs. These are words accurate to the text. Amen. False words, words that don't matter with the text, don't say amen. You say, oh my, don't say amen. Check it with the text. It continues on here. What happens next? They worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Now, in this particular section, we see the word worship throughout the Old Testament bowed down probably about 15 times. It's always followed by the word to worship afterwards. When you see this take place, you see their response. This hits me. This strikes me. Let me point out to you, the people didn't worship the book. They stood in reverence when the book was there, when he told them about the great and awesome God. Then the people bowed down because they worshiped the God of the book. They stood in reverence for the book, but they bowed to the God it revealed. There's reverence for the word of God. We respect it. You can mark in your Bible. It's not an idol. You can write in it. You can buy a new Bible. You can do away with an old Bible. You can have 30 Bibles. It's okay. It's just, it's God's word to us to tell us about the God that we worship. So here's the question I had to ask myself when I was reading this text, when I was studying this text. Why is it that when I read the text of scripture, I don't respond in the same way they responded very often? He stood in reverence for the reading of the word of God. And when they read the word of God, it says they bowed down. Now, if as I were explaining the word of God to you, you began to get down on your knees and you began to bow down in front of your seats, all the people around you would start looking at you and thinking, is he charismatic? <laughs> is, is she weird? Nobody would be worried about the book anymore because everybody's going to be worried about what's happening next. I think I'm going to start running down the aisles. Let's say they did this out of reverence. They didn't do this to make a sign of themselves. They didn't do this so people would look at themselves. This was genuine from the heart and it has to be genuine from the heart. But let me be honest with you right now. If God told me that I was supposed to bow down on my knees in the middle of a message right here on the front row, you know what my heart would immediately say? Uh-uh, God. There's 3,000 students that are gonna look at me and wonder what in the world has he been smoking? He's been hanging out with Pastor James eating shrooms or something. I don't know what's, I don't know what's going on. So here are the words I wrote. This is not comfortable for me. I don't know about you. If you're an extrovert who like, maybe, maybe you're, this is not comfortable for me. I ask myself, am I really trying to be too comfortable with God's word? Do I respond to it appropriately? Is my heart so wound up in the traditions of my time that I seldom weep when I read or hear the word of God? The thought of bowing down on the ground or raising my hand during the sermon, I can do it during the music, but during the sermon to a worthy God 
during the reading of the text is inappropriate because I care too much about what others think about me to with freedom respond to a great and awesome God. And how sad is that? That I have to confess that to you this morning. But I suspect many of you are in the same boat I am. We're too comfortable with God's word. It says in verse seven, all of these Levites help the people to understand the law. We don't know what happened here. The people remained in their places. Maybe the Levites got up. Maybe Ezra got tired of talking. Somebody else got up and read from the text. Maybe somebody elaborated on it with explanation. Maybe they went in small groups, smaller groups, and elaborated on the text. We don't know what happens here, but the people helped them understand. Understanding is important. All the people are important. They understood it. That's what matters. Verse eight. So then they read from the book, from the law of God, clearly. Oh, this is important. And they gave the sense so that the people could understand the reading. So here, I'm skipping all sorts of stuff. It doesn't matter. Here's my application to you on this. That is preaching. They read the text in such a way that it helped you know how to read your Bible better. They read the text in such a way that you understood and you clearly knew what the word of God said. That is preaching. Dear student, you will not be here forever. When you graduate and leave from this place, I plead with you. Join a church that preaches the book. You can join a church that entertains you. You can join a church that has good music. That's not gonna make you a solid follower of Christ. You join a church where the people scream out for the preacher. Bring us the book. Take the book. Open the book. Explain the book. Tell me clearly what the text says. So the text then changes my heart. It's the book that I wanna hear from. I wanna hear from God. I wanna hear from a man. I don't wanna hear from somebody that entertains me, somebody that makes me happy. I don't wanna hear from somebody that just walks around and makes me feel good and tickles my ears. I want you to teach me the word of God it's the word of God that will change your life it's the word of God that is active and living it's the word of God that will not return back void can I plead with you to join a church that preaches the word of God all right we don't do good at this because I'm a quiet person and I take notes but right there was a good spot for an amen and amen right So can I plead with you to join a church that preaches the word of God? This side's more spiritual than this side. Just kidding. Application number two, you get your chance. Read the word, meditate on the word, memorize the word, spend time in the word. Every time I interview a faculty member, I ask them, tell me about your quiet time. I ask them, how often do you have a quiet time? Give me a percentage. If they say below 90%, they're out. They don't go any farther. There's a veto stamp. It's about all I have. That's what I use. You don't go forward. At this institution, our faculty and staff should be reading the Bible because we're telling you to read the Bible. And we can't tell you to do something we don't do. 90% of the time. Life happens. I get it. It's not legalistic. Nobody checks up. We're not watching what they do. We're not looking at their Bible apps. It's honor system. But I want to tell you, student, if you want to grow in godliness, if you want to grow in your knowledge of God, if you want to have your affections changed from the things of this world to God so that you desire to serve God, so that he's your joy, read the word. 
Read the word because the word's gonna tell us who we are. It's gonna tell us who he is. It's gonna change my affections from these things that pass and are worthless. And my affections are gonna be set on the great and awesome God. And it's gonna cause me to weep because of my sin, because I can't do what I wanna do. It's gonna cause me to rejoice because Christ has already done what I can't do and I don't have to do it. And there are gonna be moments that I just take great comfort and joy in the word of God. Read the word, meditate on the word, memorize the word. So here's your, here's your slogan. I'm gonna get you to repeat this one too. No Bible, no breakfast. Oh, but I can do my quiet time at night. Yeah, I don't care. Don't give me that nonsense, whatever. You can do your quiet time at night, but most of you don't. So no Bible, no breakfast. Can you repeat that after me? Ready? How many of you wanna live by that? There's only a couple hands. We like breakfast, don't we? We wake up in the morning late because we like sleep and we want to get to class. So then we grab a bar and then we grab that bar and we eat that bar while we're in class or we go to class. And then we get busy because we have friends and we have activities. And then the night comes, oh, and there's things to do because we're hanging out in the dorm. It's really loud. And then we go to bed. Oh, I forgot to read my word today. Oh, my life's falling apart. Why is my life falling apart? Can I get in counseling? Because I need counseling because counseling is going to put my life back together. No. The word of God's going to put your life back together. If you're not reading your Bible every day, that's your first step. My life's falling apart. I've got anxiety. I don't know what to do. Oh, read your Bible. <laughs> don't come to me talking about my life's a mess. and all. Yeah, your life's a mess. You haven't done step one. This is the way. God has spoken. There's no other way. Let the word do its work. My life is shambles. Right. All of us are. Read the book. Oh, but I read it. I read it last Tuesday. And then you went to bed and you woke up a scoundrel, a rotten, filthy sinner on that downward escalator drifting farther away from God because you haven't read his book in a week. And then you say, my life's falling apart. Get in the word, read the book. I can't tell you this enough. My prayer for all of you as my students, my prayer for my kids, my prayer for myself is that there will never be a day until I die that I'm not in the word of God. And you may be sitting there thinking, are you that bad? Yes. And so are you. Amen. In the word, every day. No Bible, no breakfast. Say it with me. No Bible, no breakfast. No Bible, no breakfast. Every morning, you get up, bring the book. No Bible, no breakfast. My belly tells me I'm hungry. And what I'm interpreting that to mean is I need the word of God. I've got to move on. But that's what I really want you to take with you. Bring the book. Be in the word. If you'll do that consistently every day for the rest of your life, allow the spirit to speak through the book, God will change your life. Point number two, quickly, verses nine through 12. It's the response to the word. What happens? Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra mentioned together. That's rare in these books. Ezra was the priest, the scribe, the Levites. We could talk about that more. They taught the people. They said to all the people, what did they say to them? This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept. All right, when's the last time we wept when we heard the word of God? When's the last time we wept when we read the word of God? We read the word and it tells us our hearts deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? And we go, oh, great. Okay, next, next verse. Come on. How awful are we that the God who created us died for rebels like me? 
to by grace and by mercy grant me reconciliation to my creator, to King Jesus, to adopt me as a son, as a child of the king. So I should weep at my sin, and then after I weep at my sin, the same book that makes me weep also brings me great joy because of what Christ has already accomplished. So here he continues on. Don't mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. We've broken the law, we're sinners, we have no hope. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink sweet wine, send portions to anyone, take care of the poor, those who have nothing, for this day is holy to the Lord. And don't be grieved, he mentions it again. Remember, repetition's important. Don't be grieved, don't cry, don't weep, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Oh, we gotta, we gotta pause here. What's the joy of the Lord? So you look to the New Testament, the joy of the Lord in John 15, 11, these things I have spoken to you, the vine, you remember, we have to be in the vine, in the vine. John 15, 11, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Christ is the vine and we are to find our joy by abiding in the vine, abiding in Christ. How do we abide in Christ as sinners? We repent of our sins, we put our faith in Christ we are then united with Christ and then on a daily basis, the Holy Spirit speaks through the word of God that reveals the son of God and tells us about the father and that changes our heart, our affections, our life. It convicts us, it redirects us, it grows us. This word of God changes us so that then I read this book and I find that this book is my great joy. So when something bad happens and I'm mourning, I turn to the book because the book nourishes my soul. And when I have royally messed up, I turn to the book because the book tells me how convicting it is and how I can repent and be reunited in a right relationship with God the Father. And when I'm struggling, I turn to the book to memorize verses that replace the lies of the devil, the father of lies with the truth of the word of God, the one who cannot lie. And I get the lies out of my head and I put the truth in my head and I believe the book because this is the way God has spoken. When I'm addicted to sin and chained in bondage and wrapped up, I go to the book because the book tells me there's a God who has set me free. He has broken me from that. And my affections have to change from my bondage of sin to the God that has freed me. And what's going to make that happen? The book, learning about God, the Spirit speaking through this, being involved in a local church that preaches the book, the fellowship of believers around you, walking arm in arm, encouraging you, not by yourself. All of those things together will help you grow in Christ. A thousand days here, grow in Christ. Afterwards, this does not prepare you for every day of the rest of your life. You better develop the habit to be in the book daily, to be in a church that preaches the word. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Not just John 15, Hebrews 12, 2 comes to mind. Christ went to the cross and it says, for the joy that was set before him. Oh my. The cross, the humiliation, the shame is referred to in Hebrews 12 too as the joy that was set before Christ. What's the joy? The joy is not the heartache, it's not the cross, it's not the pain, it's not the shame. The joy is the reconciliation of lost sinners 
to the God who loves them and created them in a just way because the wrath has now been poured out and the righteous one has died on my behalf. And now by repentance and faith, I can be united in Christ. That's the joy. One more verse for you. Matthew 25, 21. Parable of talents. The one who used them well, he said, enter into the joy of your master. Oh, we need to find joy in the word. All right, there's other stuff here. I'm probably gonna skip part of it. Psalm 19.8, the precepts of the Lord are right. They rejoice the heart. Does the word of God rejoice your heart? Does it make your heart glad? Psalm 119.111, your testimonies are my heritage forever for they are the joy of my heart. They didn't rejoice at the walls or at the building or at the speaker. They rejoiced when they understood the word of the Lord. How long had Ezra been in this place? 13 years. You don't understand. I've been struggling with this for a long time. Yeah, these people had been in this place for 13 years. And finally, they looked at Ezra and said, bring the book. Finally, they heard the word of God and they wept and it broke their heart. This book is what changes lives. This book is what comforts the souls. The message that's in this book is what changes all of us. We don't worship the book. We worship the God of the book. How do you know about the God of the book? Through the words in the book. Inspired, infallible, inerrant. The Holy Spirit speaking through men as though God breathed them himself. These are the words we can trust. This is the way God has spoken. All right. I have some concluding thoughts. And then one illustration if we want to go through it. Here's the concluding thoughts. Write these down. Think through these. Concluding thoughts from this text, read and study the word. Has that come across clearly enough, the importance of the word? Oh, dear student, read and study the word. Why? The word reveals who God is. You don't get that from general revelation. You can know there's a God. You can see there's a God out there. You don't understand that you're a sinner and he's the savior and you need to repent and put your faith in Christ. That's special revelation. That's the word. That's what we have in the Bible. That's why we emphasize at Cedarville that we are far the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. The word reveals who I am, a sinner in need of a savior. The word reveals to me that if I ever get prideful, God's gonna tear me down and the word reveals to me that I better stay humble before the Lord. The word tells me who I really am. I don't get, you don't read your own press releases. You don't get arrogant about who you are because the word has already told you who you are. You are a rotten sinner and rebel against the king who created you. And only by grace and mercy can you come before the throne. A proper understanding of this word ultimately brings great rejoicing to our hearts. All right, I'm gonna tell you the story. Billy Graham. Anybody in the room know who Billy Graham is? Yeah, I'm, I'm honestly afraid that some of you don't. Billy Graham, one of the greatest evangelists ever. I mean, he would hold crusades and thousands upon thousands would get saved. Hundreds of thousands even sometimes would come. He had a friend named Charles Templeton. They were co-evangelists when they first started out. Charles was the co-founder of an organization called Youth for Christ. It would lead a bunch of people to Christ. They were both preachers. Some would say that Charles was actually a better preacher than Billy. I don't know. Charles went to Princeton Theological Seminary. He was exposed there to liberalism, began to doubt creation, began to doubt Genesis, began to doubt hell, began to doubt the deity of Christ, and ultimately, he became an atheist. He started out a preacher, became an atheist. Templeton writes this about a conversation with his friend, Billy Graham. 
And he's got a book entitled Farewell to God. It will break your heart if you read the book Farewell to God. But this is what he says in it. In the course of, I'm quoting, in the course of our conversation, I said, but Billy, it's simply not possible any longer to believe, for instance, the biblical account of creation. The world was not created over the period of a few thousand years ago. It has evolved over millions of years. It's not a matter of speculation. It is demonstrable fact, end quote. Page seven and eight, if you want to look it up. In his autobiography, Billy Graham talked about an encounter, and he says, quote, Templeton said, Billy, you're 50 years out of date. People no longer accept the Bible as being inspired the way you do. Your faith is too simple. The language is out of date. You're going to have to learn new jargon if you're going to be successful in ministry. Oh, how wrong that is. Challenged time and time again, Graham ultimately came to his conclusion in solitude one evening. Now, this is Graham telling his story. Quote, dropping to my knees there in the woods, I opened my Bible and a random tree stump in front of me. I could not read it in the shadowy moonlight. I had no idea what text lay before me. I could only stutter into prayer. The exact words of my prayers beyond recall, but it must have been something that echoed these thoughts. Oh God, there are many things in this book that I don't understand. There are problems for which I have no solution. There are many seeming contradictions. There are some areas that in it do not seem to correlate with modern science. I can't answer some of the philosophical or psychological questions that Chuck and others are raising. I was trying to be on the level with God, but something remained unspoken. At last, the Holy Spirit freed me to say it. Father, I'm going to accept this as thy word by faith. I'm going to allow faith to go beyond my intellectual questions, my doubts, and I will believe this to be your inspired word. When I got up from my knees at Forest Home that August night, my eyes stung with tears. I sensed the presence and power of God as I had not sensed it in months. Not all my questions were answered, but a bridge, a major bridge had been crossed in my heart and mind. I knew there was a spiritual battle that had been fought and won. Lee Strobel interviewed Templeton at the end of his life. He asked him what he thought about Jesus. His body language changed, it softened. He commented on Jesus being the most important thing in his life. With tears in his eyes, he said these words. I miss him. Student, there's a battle for your soul. Will you believe the word of God or will you believe the lies of the devil? We must understand the word of God and we must experience the joy of its truth. This book is God's word and I could recount story after personal story of how God has used his word in my own life and so could many others. Let the word do its work in your life. This is the way. God has spoken. Oh God, we are quick to flee from you, quick to wander, we are quick to sin. Would you tie us to your word? Would you allow your word to convict us? Would your spirit speak through your word? Would you allow it to grow us and change our affections so that they're set on you? Lord, would you send a revival where all of us desired your word so much that we would weep, that we would fall down and worship, that we would stand and respect that, Lord, we would glorify you, the God of the book that is revealed to us through the book, not for our glory, but for our good, for our joy. And Lord, for your glory alone, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. And you are dismissed.